0: This Future Construct podcast episode is supported by Applied Software. Applied Software is on a mission to transform industry by empowering their clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. So visit asti.com, it's A-S-T-I.com, and please let them know that we here at Future Construct and BIM Designs sent you. Hi everyone, welcome to the Future Construct podcast. I'm your host, Amy Peck. Very excited for our guest today. We have Curtis Rogers, who is a principal at Brick and Mortar Ventures, and also the founder of the Society for Construction Solutions. Welcome, Curtis.
1: Hi, Amy, thank you for having me.
0: So you have a really fascinating background. So I'd like to dive in there first, maybe start with what you're doing now, but uh, if you can give us a little bit of history, how you you got here.
1: Sure, thank you. yeah, so my role as principal at Brick and Mortar Ventures um, is, you know, pretty much focused on investments and the success of early stage companies. So Brick and Mortar Ventures was started about six years ago by Darren Bechtel, and I was the first hire about five and a half years ago. And uh, my responsibilities, you know, include you know, the deal flow, the evaluation of the investment opportunities. I sit on a few uh, boards of our investments. And then, of course, we work with them through all the problems of uh, product market fit, product management, um, help them fundraise. Uh, We're really hands on and we uh, work with companies from like seed through series A or series B. And, um, you know, that we even do like some spin outs. So we did a a spin out from CSIRO, Australia's National Research Laboratory, as well as uh, Shell Techworks. But we work really early stage sometimes with the the origin of of the company.
0: So I'm a little jealous about that. I saw that, that that's in uh, Sydney, Australia. Did you get to to live there for a little bit?
1: Um, I was looking at actually moving to Sydney. um, But, you know, I just travel there as needed. I've spent a lot of time in uh, Sydney and Melbourne and Perth.
0: One, one, one of my favorite places so you know in looking at some of the portfolio companies and particularly ones where you are uh, either on the board or a board observer i'd love to i mean there's there's obviously clear through lines so if you can talk a little bit about you know the types of investments you're making um but m- maybe some of the some of the portfolio companies themselves because it's a it's a really interesting group
1: sure sure and um I'll get a little bit more on my background, just to kind of put it all into context, because I think it also helps to understand, like, what's the the scope? Because when you say, like, you know, construction technology, well, what market segment are you even talking about? So uh, my background uh, was pretty unique, as I got exposed to pretty much every market segment of construction. Uh, actually, I come from an IBM family. And uh, when I finished grad school and started as an engineer at Kiewit, I was really curious, you know, what was the know, enterprise IT environment for Key West operations. And, you know, after a year, I had rotated through, you know, being a foreman and a superintendent, operating equipment, doing a little bit of welding. And I was an engineer on a, a power plant project, uh, doing structural concrete, and then an engineer on a uh, the Dart uh, Orange Line. So light rail from downtown Dallas to the airport, uh, working on earthwork operations. But then I rotated through surveying and scheduling. So I had uh, to experience a lot of different roles, and then for the next, you know, five years of my uh, construction career, I was focused on new technology and process improvement. So Kiwit had uh, started like a you know big initiative into digitization and you know kind of uh, overhauling all the technology within Kiwit, and I was very fortunate to be one of the the first five people chosen for this solutions team. So. I worked with our, you know, four of the districts, you know, projects in the defense space, oil and gas, mining, industrials, energy. And, you know, for three years at, at Kiewit, I was able to work with all these different project types at different stages of progress, you know, different um, teaming agreements, mostly self-perform, and just working with them on uh, defining the problems they were motivated to solve and then seeking out the solutions to address that. So that could be, you know, guidance uh, solutions for uh, drilling operations, uh, looking for new materials to improve, you know, concrete production, uh, and then you know, lots of, uh, you know, digital solutions. And there's um, a lot of, you know, change management. You know, how do you incorporate uh, emerging technology into a really challenging industrial process with, you know, zero patience for things that don't work. So the, the, the need for something to be successful was higher uh, than you know, it, its impact. It was okay to get started with quick wins, things like that. And then after four years at Kiewit, I moved out to San Francisco to join the plan grid team. That was their largest customer at the time. And I was one of their earliest hires when they came out of Y Combinator. That's what brought me to San Francisco. Then um, I worked for McCarthy Construction for two years and McCarthy is the largest healthcare builder in North America. So I worked primarily with the California regions, uh, Cal and SoCal, and uh, worked on a lot of really complex design build projects. Um, and again, you know, helping them to define problems they're motivated to solve, and then going out and seeking the solutions. And it was completely different at McCarthy because of you know the abundance of solutions uh, to work with and to pilot and also being in San Francisco And let's see, about six and a half years ago, I was, you know, working with a lot of entrepreneurs in the Bay Area and saw the opportunity to create the Society for Construction Solutions, and that brought together all of those, you know, early technologists and construction entrepreneurs and also some investors. And that's how I met uh, Darren Bechtel, as he had invested in a number of entrepreneurs who are members of my nonprofit, and then uh, we became buddies, and I actually pitched Darren a uh, an idea for a startup uh, software platform, and I was uh, politely interrupted and offered a job to come and join him, <laughs> and and help you know get the brick and mortar brand uh, up and going and and raise outside funding. So, um, we look at you know investment opportunities is uh, by understanding what market segment they're active in, what problem they solve, and we're much more of a problem focused. Uh, investor and kind of technology agnostic. So if you look at our portfolio, you know, it can be kind of hard to see what theme it is other than just construction related, because, you know, we'll happily invest in robotics, material science, guidance technology, you know, your status platforms, um, your tech enabled contractors. And um, we really try to understand uh, what market segments that they address and then what processes in each market segment. as it's completely different, like you know, building a single family residential home versus a hospital versus a power plant. The contract types are different or non-existent and there's just all these different com- complexity drivers.
0: This episode of the Future Construct podcast is supported by the amazing team at Applied Software. They have solutions for any modern project. Applied Software is on a mission to transform industry by empowering their clients and being the champions of innovation with their real world expert consultants. They have a comprehensive suite of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing with a singular focus to help you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered for all of your workflow needs. BIM Designs is proud to be a client and partner of Applied Software. So visit their website at asti.com, that's A-S-T-I.com. And don't forget to tell them that we here at Future Construct and VIM Designs sent you. Yeah, you said something that's really interesting and I think companies fall into the trap of, you know a mandate will come down and say, we need to be doing AI or we need to be doing AR and VR. And you know in, in my opinion, that's the kind of a backwards way of doing it. It's like, what problem are you trying to solve? And then how do you leverage technology? And you know, in looking at your portfolio, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of deep tech, and there's a lot of sort of combinations of technology. And again, I think that's that's where we're all headed. Um, and and I think the fact that you have such deep sort of hands-on expertise is is going to be incredibly valuable for this venture firm. Um, I, I I kind of wish I had a recording of your your pitch to Darren where he said, you know, <laughs> I'm going to take a pass on your company. <laughs> but i really like you <laughs> so so you know w- with some of the companies that you're working with now can you give some examples of you know some successes you've had because you know it, it, you you touched on this a little bit it's really un- it, it's incredibly difficult to to bring in technology to a construction workflow and people have vastly different uh, you know abilities in terms of of their um, you know tech knowledge and their uh, you know understanding and, and certainly a lot of reticence to bring certain new technologies you know I- you know into a construction site. So so how are you able to combat that and how do you find companies that you know have such deep tech expertise but really understand that user journey?
1: Sure. So you know a lot of it is. Um you know for your question it seems like you know it's kind of like a process improvement solution for uh, a contractor is a uh, you know that's relevant to what you're you're asking for because we do invest in companies that compete for contracts with with builders and things like that so um, yeah i would point out probably uh, cumulus digital systems is uh, a really interesting you know I'll call it case study and in, in change management It's also uh, one of the many portfolio companies we're really proud of. And I sit on the board and uh, the origin story with that company. um, So uh, shell, which is a fantastic corporation, um, they worked with MIT's Draper labs um, to basically seek out solutions for the problems they were motivated to solve as like an R and D facility in Cambridge in the Boston area. And uh, that, really morphed and evolved into Shell TechWorks. And so Shell TechWorks has a number of amazing you know, systems engineers and aerospace engineers, and you know all of these people from diverse backgrounds uh, looking at Shell's problems with fresh eyes and a lot of experience in other very uh, technical industries. And uh, we developed a relationship with them. And then we were asked uh, to lead a spin out of uh, a software company a technology company that they uh, developed in-house at shell and what shell what um digital systems does is it's a really quality management and learning management platform to eliminate uh mistakes in industrial operations so that can be really important in oil and gas and chemicals and things like that and the first uh, kind of product that they had out of this overall platform uh, worked with uh, Bluetooth-enabled uh, torque wrenches to eliminate leaks on refineries. I actually have this is always a, a good visual aid, but this <laughs> is a, a very large torque wrench, and you can see uh you know call it a smart torque wrench, and this was uh, developed by Snap-on Tools, but you know other you know tool manufacturers make uh, Bluetooth-enabled torque wrenches, and um, Cumulus saw this as an enabling technology and said, wow, we can get objective data from the field uh, and incorporate that into the quality management uh, you know, processes. Well, you're also getting really good information about the performance of the operator of the tool or the equipment. So there's a whole learning management aspect too and understanding the training and the performance, things like that. But you're you're not touching the time cards. You're not touching anything sensitive to, you know, this person and uh, the relationship with the company, it's it's kind of very problem focused and, you know, how good were you today at, uh, you know, eliminating leaks on the facility, that type of thing. So they're building out the software platform to work with, you know, many applications, many scopes, um, but they're a great example of how uh, how a focused solution can be uh, incorporated into a really complex industrial operation, the construction of an industrial facility or the maintenance of an industrial facility with something like that, like focused, uh, it answers the question of like, well, what do you do and how does it benefit me? And it's it's not a company that says, oh, well give us all your data and we'll send you a report and you can figure out how to you know, incorporate that benefit into your business. With Cumulus, uh, the, you know, best place to start is working with their uh, smart torque range solution. And it's, it's pretty easy to understand how important that is going from paper based, you know, uh, you know, collection of torque values to one where the human is in the loop, but not actually capturing the data and um, it, you know, digitizing the information so it's uh, can't be lost There's all kinds of paper deliverables that are misplaced. um, But the, the precision and the accuracy is uh, what's really important to these more industrial projects, but of course, it's also relevant to data centers and hospitals, or you know, any commercial project that has a significant, um, you know, MEP scope is is going to need something like that. So it's. It may have started in oil and gas and with Shell, but Shell was a fantastic partner in the spinout and. Uh, Cumulus is still a very attractive investment. They haven't taken too much money. They haven't given away too many rights uh, to Shell or to us or to anybody else. They're, they're a very you know standalone, self-assured company and growing at a fantastic rate. Um, I think they are uh, just had a successful Series A. So I think they'll be raising a Series B uh, here in the next uh, year or two.
0: That's fantastic. I love the fact that you actually have a torque wrench. Just, okay, it's just back here. I'm gonna need one of those. I need those. For my while, I see your Texas flag yeah. back there. I've actually been part of the recent Texas. And so I just moved from the Bay Area.
1: Texas. Nice. Uh, yes. I haven't heard that before.
0: Yes. Yes. We're all we're all descending upon this fine state. And I'm not sure they're super happy about it. But
1: yeah, um, I, I was born in Dallas and raised in Austin. And um, I remember going back to Austin uh, really to host some friends and kind of show them around. And I had my California ID because I moved to San Francisco so many years ago. And I handed it to someone and then he handed it back said, enjoy your stay. So I wanted to explain uh, from Austin, I'm not, you know, <laughs> just visiting or, you know, uh, trying to you know, drive up the property values. Yeah. I, I got out of San Francisco um, so back in July. I live in Santa Barbara now.
0: Oh, nice. That's a beautiful area. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to be here. I am going to change my license plates as soon as humanly possible and get a Texas driver, because I can tell you the, the um, yeah, on, on the roads, you can tell that they know I'm from California and they're not super psyched I'm here. So I'm gonna rectify that. <laughs>
1: You know, different podcast to talk about how to, how to fit in, in Austin. How to, it's, yeah,
0: it's an Austin. Yeah. I i mean, I'd love it. Any, any advice you can give me of, uh, you know, how, how to blend.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I, I did watch a few videos as well. And I think, you know, just in hearing you talk, I mean, I see that, that your level of experience is, is so um, important too, in, ter- in terms of assessing what the problems are, and I think it's really interesting the way that that um, you know this venture firm has has been built. But I, you know, I look at um, Hollow Builder, for example, which is insanely cool and and but but also seemingly not that difficult to deploy. In a construction environment, I think you interviewed yeah. somebody on on the video uh, on YouTube, and I highly recommend uh, anyone listening take a look for it. Uh, but the you know woman who was managing it said oh, it took me just a couple minutes on my mobile device, and she's you know running the running the robot. Can you, can you talk a little bit about how that company came came to be?
1: Sure, sure. So that's an interesting one because I knew HoloBuilder before I worked at Brick and Mortar Ventures. So when I was at McCarthy Construction, I had worked through and completed a few process improvement campaigns. uh, One for um, improved design management in the pre-construction process, and then another one to improve information management uh, for the self-perform you know business units of McCarthy, primarily a parking structure business unit. And I was looking for the next uh, you know scope to work on because. Design management couldn't be more important for design build contracts. And uh, you know pre-construction uh, is, was kind of new to me as back in McCarthy, it was more estimated. There wasn't as much kind of design scope. And then that self-perform, you know, it's one of the um, kind of project types uh, where you can uh, really make significant margin and you have significant risk. Um, so once those are done, kind of looking at, okay, well, I guess now we look at, you know, I kind of call maybe disrespectfully, uh, babysitting, you know, managing the subcontractors, like completely subcontracted operations where, you know, general contractor has a number of engineers there uh, who are documenting progress. And that's like the name of the game, the better we can document progress uh, with the subcontractors as a partner and being willing to be documented, uh, the better you can do project controls. So, you know, like a fully subcontracted uh, project uh, is really like an exercise in project controls for the general contractor, and as well as the design management process. But as far as operations, and you know, I kind of looked at it uh, afresh and started doing time studies on the engineers and the project teams and the project control staff, and see what their time was was spent working on. And a lot of it revolved around. Of photos and uh, photos that they had taken and are disorganized and hard to find, photos they wish they had, um, all kinds of, you know, duct tape together solutions uh, for engineers to try to improve their own efficiency for managing imagery and things like that. And I said, okay, well, if you know, we're really just doing project controls during, you know, this type of job, well, can we just document progress comprehensively? Uh, and in a scalable way that'll be easy to repeat for each project and so well, why not laser scanning you know we use laser scanning uh, for these major kind of milestones in the project uh, this one job i was working with was uh, taking an old uh, tank assembly facility uh, in you know uh, soma in san francisco um, just like an old like you know kind of warehouse industrial part of town and turning it into a headquarters for a number of the bay area authorities so they cut the center of this concrete structure out, and where they were installing all glass interior, um, you know, panels. Uh, so you have this beautiful, um, you know, central area with staircases coming in and out. It was really a very cool, cool project. Um, and from the laser scanning, we found all these little issues. We we could now start to count things, uh, not with a clipboard walking around, but you know, by really looking at you know all of the information that was gathered, and. Yeah, why why can't we laser scan? Well, you, when you start to uh, quantify the amount of you know man hours and uh, time and everything and doing data collection using laser scanning, even with robots, it's still uh, very difficult to scale. Uh, and it doesn't, of course, work for all projects. Not all projects are installing you know custom made glass for you know each level of the project. So it, it's kind of overkill. And so I was like, okay, well, what what else is there out there? And now I. I th- I felt that I really understood a problem and now, uh, you know, kind of understood at least one solution that I knew would work, but turns out is isn't scalable, what else is out there? So you create like, you know, what's the spectrum of reality capture? And if I have a smartphone with a camera over here and I've got, you know, LiDAR millimeter uh, level accuracy, what's in the middle? And started looking at like structured light sensors, uh, like Matterport. Um, there were a number of other solutions out there, which are, structured light sensors where it sends out infrared uh, you know, light is kind of like a cast out in front of you. And then uh, it's using computer vision uh, with kind of those a, a bit of known information with unknown information and makes a, a nice point cloud, but creates a huge file size and also had kind of like a long duration of capture. Well, a ball of GoPros back in the day, what used to be the way that you could capture uh, spherical videos and spherical imagery so, okay well can we produce uh, spherical images or spherical video in a scalable way because the speed of capture you know is really fast and um, you know not every project is going to need millimeter accuracy so it might be a better place to start is is just with imagery we don't want to deal with the point clouds of structured light sensors we don't want to deal with the clouds and the expense of laser scanning so we started looking at photospheres, and it just so happened that Ricoh out of Japan had released a new spherical camera that didn't have very good resolution, didn't have you know very good low light performance, but was the first product to ever allow you just to, with the click of a button, you know, capture a spherical photo, and then you know plug it into your computer, and now I've got a spherical JPEG uh, that I can you know easily make use of, and we started putting those on um, PDF plans. And kind of building our own floor plan with links to photospheres. Um, some projects were using iPads on a uh, uh, on a tripod to try to capture not a full photosphere, but you know, it's basically a big panorama. And that was starting to get traction. Um, but on that, uh, the Rico Theta uh, forum for developers, as I was searching for, okay, where's a software platform for making all of these photospheres? Um, We met HoloBuilder, and HoloBuilder was really a product out of BitStars in Aachen, Germany. And Mustafa Akbari and um, his team uh, did a fantastic job of saying, okay, well, we've got our BitStars kind of software development company in Aachen, Germany. uh, Basically, uh, an informal relationship with RWTH Aachen University, which is like a combination of MIT and Colorado school of mines for, for Germany. It's really like a, an absolutely outstanding university. Um, they had developed hollow builder to start working with, uh, reality capture information for the Google Tango and structured light sensors and everything, but it worked really well for photospheres as well. And they said, okay, let's focus the entire effort of the company on this one product. And then Mo decided he was going to move to San Francisco and, uh, Yeah, it was just kind of like a perfect coincidence that I was trying to solve this problem of organizing photospheres. Mustafa and the Hullabilder team had built this platform for organizing photospheres, hadn't chosen an industry yet. And then we met in San Francisco and concluded, yes, construction is a a great industry to focus on. And um, then I met Darren, Darren hired me, And uh, became one of our earliest investments uh, as a team of Darren and I. So Darren's capital, and uh, you know, I was really interested in Hollow Builder as a potential investment. I worked very closely with the team, and um, yeah, now they're generating substantial revenue and uh, doing really well. And you know, something to attribute to their success is that you know, ease of understanding like the problem it solves. You know, when you show up to a project. And you show them this you know little device i think i might have one
0: <laughs> torque wrench theta they're all right here
1: i <laughs> yeah. kept referencing it but you know i don't all my toys oh, yeah. are not far yeah. away and uh, this is actually the first one that i ever bought this was very very early one but uh you know capable of taking spherical cameras there's a snapdragon processor in there and um you know it's easy to explain uh, to very busy project teams that this can take a lot of photos very quickly. And, you know, we, we just came for your photos. That's it. And, you know, the interface and how you interact with the information is also really easy. Uh, you don't have to fly around in, you know, 3D you know, software. Um, you know, you can open it on a mobile you know, browser on your phone. It's really easy to access, easy to understand, affordable price, like that really fit the bill. And then, uh, you know, they've added on a lot of really great features like, you know, annotations and that being in like a master log for the project Um, and like multi-tiered administration, you know, things that construction engineers understand the utility of because, you know, I've got this whole project scope and I want to make annotations, but I need, I don't want to have to keep a spreadsheet of all my comments over the drawings or the photos and all these things. And and HoloBuilder allows you to have that master markup list for the project. So I can easily manage those issues that I de- identify in the field to completion. So it's kind of like a, a project controls platform where photospheres and imagery are, you know, how all the information is structured. It's almost like a GIS system. And then because it's a photo, it inherently has context, like it would in a GIS system where it's all location-based. And then you know, features like multi-tiered administration, now a large company, especially the higher up decision makers can see how they can now monitor multiple projects from a centralized office. And we saw that as um, something that was contributing to a bigger trend happening in construction, which was less project presence, less head count uh, on the project. Uh, We would typically look at like a, a foreman to engineer ratio and so those types of ratios going down and um, I guess more form into engineers, so that ratio would go up, but uh, more centralized you know, project management, administration, scheduling, things like that. So that helped us to build conviction uh, with the investment. And also just knowing that this is a fact, you no, know, this device is gonna be significant to construction uh, because you know, they all wanna eliminate their overhead. And this is a very easy to understand solution to reduce overhead.
0: So, you know, looking at a lot of these solutions, you know, I'm already seeing ways that you can take that same data and kind of repurpose it either, uh, you know, sort of in training or in remote technical assistance or, you know, some other applications, how are you thinking about that in terms of scale, you know, some of the companies you're working with or solutions that you've seen out there, where then all of this data that you're collecting has. Other kind of uses and, and use cases.
1: Yeah, I would point out probably uh, Verum, uh, V E E R U M, out of Calgary, Alberta, and they're they're in the reality capture uh, space as well. Uh, but you know, later after we had made the investment in HoloBuilder, uh, we were like, okay, well, some uh, project types do need laser scanning, and you know, photos, uh, photospheres might be beneficial. Um, but for like oil and gas, mining, um, millimeter precision is the name of the game. And uh, Viram and Calgary, you know, uh, as like a just a place, uh, call it like a center of influence. Uh, Calgary is a center of influence for survey engineering and survey technology. So Viram is our portfolio company that's really a platform for survey data, but you could describe that as point clouds, you know, very precise measurements in the field, uh, collected, uh, qualified, is this data accurate? Okay, let it into the VRM system, now I can get access to all my design files, all the point clouds, all the information for this industrial facility, all millimeter accurate and uh, you know, QC, we would call it quality control on the accuracy of the data coming into the system. It's, it's different than HoloBuilder, it has some similarities, but it's in different market segments. You know, HoloBuilder does have clients in the oil and gas, you know, the industrial space, but they would probably reference a Photosphere and HoloBuilder to better understand, okay, what's going on in this complex point cloud? It's kind of different tools in the toolbox. And um, how that data is kind of used in a, in a unique way, um, HoloBuilder is oftentimes used by the contractor subcontractors and with the client, um, but with Virum, <clears throat> it's almost exclusively the client. So I'm an asset operator. <clears throat> I've got a hydroelectric turbine or I've got some type of big industrial project in a really remote place, very hard to access. and I spend a lot of money going and doing laser scans to understand what I own, what's going on, We've got a project underway, what's what's getting being installed. Uh, it's all being installed, you know correctly. And um, there's also a lot of modular construction in those really remote jobs up in, in Northern Canada. And VRAM can be used um, to also you know, put projects out for bid. So, you know, you've got the construction phase and the maintenance phase where you're using VRAM to manage progress and understand quality control from a dimensional accuracy standpoint. Well, the next time you need to go and find a contractor to do a major maintenance event or a capital improvement project, then you can use the VRM platform to, you know, identify what areas you want to put into the uh, RFP and you know put out for bid. So the all the data that's used uh, for uh, operations and maintenance uh, is you know absolutely uh, valuable for running like a, a digital bid process because you know I can try to you know uh, get some drawings. Put that into the you know the the package uh, to request the proposals, um, and then of course a narrative to describe the scope of work. But instead of drawings and a narrative, if I've got you know real representative data of you know what all the contractors in that location have done previously, you know point clouds of you know what are the existing conditions, um, and you know in that same platform all the, the CAD, you know, files, uh, and then all of that, you know, linked together in a cloud interface, it really changes, you know, how the bid process works, when you have such an abundance of very accurate uh, data, and, you know, done by people at a company who know what survey engineering is. So it's, it, it works right into the workflows of the engineers and the estimators uh, pursuing the, the project.
0: Yeah, and that's a critical component of it as well. So we're we're kind of coming to the end of our time, and I and I there's always a question I ask all of our guests uh, about about the future and kind of projecting themselves in the future. This is much more on a on a on a personal level. So if you could project yourself, you know, 20, 25 years into the future and you could have you know any any gadget at all that would make your life better, or make you happy, what would it be and what would it do?
1: Sure. So 20 25 years from now I think um, the true uh, driverless car uh, and completely like sleep in it and you know show up somewhere else. I mean I've traveled like a maniac for the last decade of my life and um, you know it would be really an amazing convenience if my experience like being on a plane and being able to sleep on the way to a destination, you know, I remember in Texas driving like 13 hours to get out to Pantex and, you know, visit the substations and things like that. And that's a lot of driving. You got to accommodate time for sleep. It, it takes forever and be the same thing for keeping in touch with family and friends and things like that. It would just make the world a smart place if um, you, know, you could sleep, you know, in transit and driving. And a lot of times I'd rather rather than fly. So I think it, uh, that was something I'm definitely looking forward to.
0: Yeah, good, me too. I just, just drove from San Francisco to Austin and man, Texas is a big state. <laughs> I went through three states in the same amount of time it took me just to get from you know El Paso to Austin. So, yeah. well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today and uh, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Sure, thank you, Amy.